Okay, so, Amelia, we have now uh, spent at least eight weeks, I guess longer, because we've known that this was that this was, you know, coming up for us for a while. But, uh, you know, how how have the last eight weeks gone for you spending, you know, all of your spare time immersed in the Grateful Dead? Like, good. (laughs) 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 Seriously, like, um, yeah, I like they've. I've enjoyed it way more than I thought I would, to be completely honest. Um, I think I had some skepticism coming in that I expressed in the first episode. Um, and yeah, I feel like I can't even, it's not really like possible to overstate how like kind and welcoming and sort of exciting it's, it's been to work on this project and also just kind of like a nice little escape. I mean, I think the last, you know, eight plus, you know, three months have just been some of the most intense in like history at least as far as i've been alive um Mm -hmm. and yeah the the dead has been like a nice little um like escape from all that like it's both musically and you know the interviews um and just sort of learning more like the expanse of the dead has just been been fun to get into um and it's a lot less of a like intimidating or even like corny place than I uh, had really expected it to be. So good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, yeah, I think I really agree. That has been, uh, I guess, sort of the selling point for anthology at large, but specifically uh, by the time people get this box set is like, it, it really is awesome to just have this thing to be obsessed with that. Like, is entirely just like out of everything else, you know, that to have this, like, you know, to be like, no matter what is happening, I can like retreat and go and listen to Europe 72 in my case, you know, Mm -hmm. it has been, uh, it has been a very good thing for me too. I think it's been in some ways it's like been this, this like great grounding thing that Mm -hmm. like you, I just have this thing sort of, you know, happening in the background of my life has been, has been welcome. And I get like you, I think all of my skepticism about the dead and the whole, you know, deadheads at large, the culture around the dead, everything that we talked about in the first episode, I think I also have like completely lost all my skepticism. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on on the Grateful Dead, uh, you know, to use like a sports podcast <laughs> thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, you know, I'm all in. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on the bandwagon. You know, on the bus, so, if you will. Yeah, on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think like, how did you find the interviews? Like, just the people in general, like that you talk to, because mm-hmm. on my end. The thing that was uh, sort of universal was like the people that I talked to for this were like some of the most friendly and like generous people <laughs> that I've ever interviewed for one of these podcasts. Like they were uh, extremely patient and were like, you know, this is exactly why the dead are good and this is why I care about them. And I don't know that that that, that would necessarily be the case if we did this about, you know, Led Zeppelin or something yeah. that like... Yeah. So how did you find, you know, your interview? We we both interviewed David Lemieux, but then we had, you know, some other people on each episodes that were 
were different. Yeah, no, my, it was, it was really fantastic. Like I, truly some of the most like informative and not in like a condescending way either, just in a way that like, I have all this information and I'm so excited about it and I just want to go off about it. And it's, that was really exciting to listen to. Um, I think, yeah, obviously you know this, but um, this is one of the first like audio projects I've done in a while. Like I haven't done uh, podcasting or radio in like, I think a couple of years now Mm -hmm. and there's like a vulnerability that kind of comes to that or like comes with that at least. Um, and so I was going in with like some level of anxiety and also, yeah, like you said, like, I guess I maybe had more of a, I'm dealing with these, I don't know, not like classic rock dudes, but I was sort of expecting the same sort of, um, like mentality, I guess, Mm. or the same. Like, why don't you get this? You idiot Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like there's a version of that where it's very condescending to you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. This, like, to be honest, like the demographic that, uh, maybe like, you know, a couple of my guests happen to fall in are not historically the most like inviting or welcoming, like types of people in music for, for mm-hmm. uh, a, a young person, like getting into something with like a lot of history and a lot of catalog. And I was very open about that. And yeah, it was just like, I felt like I, we can, we can touch more on, on this later, but I just felt like when I was talking to them, there was no way to be wrong. Like there was just, mm-hmm. you know, just like sheer passion there. And like, um, I think like a lot of there's a lot of respect within the within the dead community. It feels like at least or at least like from an ethos perspective of like every singular person's experience and every singular person's like perspective. Um, Mm -hmm. And that really that really shines through. I think when you're when you're talking to a true deadhead, like they do sort of live that. Um, I think it was Buzz Poole who um, wrote a book about working man's dad and was my first interview um who said something super enlightening that i won't even like try and quote (laughs) but just about it being a mentality and like not just being that's i guess that's something i like heard deadhead say but i didn't quite i it seemed a little hokey to me like Mm -hmm. living the music like living the the like ethos of the dead the like the the dead like thought process and it, it's an approach I think is maybe the word he used an approach to how you live your life um and I think that um at least in my experience making this podcast um that's I was only meant with that and after my first interview with, with Buzz I had like there was just kind of a sense of calm I had about this project because of like the the openness and the approach that it it feels like that has taken to a lot of stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like one of my big takeaways from this is that like uh, there is really like no right or wrong way to be a dead fan mm-hmm. that like they are willing to I guess like the band is there for you on like whatever end of the spectrum of dead fandom you're on that like any version of dead fandom is valid. That like if you're into them solely because they were, you know, they have all of these live shows and you only care about the live stuff like that is a perfectly like 
welcoming space for you. If you're into the dead because you know, they of the impact they had on like computer technology, which I found out in one of my interviews with Jesse Jarno, is like, you know, that's like a a a part of dead fandom that exists and is like as valid as, you know, somebody who can tell you the amount of times that they played the China Cat Sunflower Know You Rider mashup, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. That like all versions of dead fandom are basically like welcome under the tent. And I think I coming in, I thought like uh, that me being only into the studio albums at the time was like some like lesser form of dead fandom that I like, you know, I, I love American beauty. I listen to that a lot in my life mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have considered myself a dead fan because I was like worried that like, you know, if you get questioned <laughs> that like somebody would be like, you know, because that's how it is on the internet is like if you say you're a fan of something like somebody's like oh yeah name 10 of their albums you know like and i couldn't have done that before but like i think it's like making peace with the past version of myself as a dead fan was like that was just as valid and i did not need to feel like me loving american beauty was like somehow incomplete Mm -hmm. for like liking the dead you know yeah that yeah I, I guess I was kind of like curious uh, from your perspective as like, I don't know, a f- formerly a teen boy, um, uh-huh. how that felt like, especially that's kind of when you started your dead journey. And um, yeah, no, I guess it does seem like at least, and I'll, I'll try and be sensitive here, but at least how I've like watched like uh, certain people interact with like, certain music it feels like there's mm-hmm. sort of like a right like a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it like you said mm-hmm. like there's no right way to be a deadhead and um yeah I feel like there's a lot of like gatekeeping that happens mm-hmm. with certain type of music and I didn't um feel like that was an experience here and in fact like the opposite of like right every I think David Lemieux is the person to really emphasize that like not only does their catalog go all the way across the board you don't have to love it all and like right place for pretty much everyone and even like when you look at like i think watching the documentary i i was like oh that's really cool there's different like parts you have like the tapers and the the spinners and like all of these Mm -hmm. crazy little like people kind of like grouping off the way like a I almost thought of it of like, oh, it's like a, a high school lunchroom mentality. Right. But it's yeah, not exactly. like that. There is like mm-hmm. equal amounts of respect if you're a taper for like, and this is like obviously hypothetical, like applies more broadly, but like it seems like everyone just kind of respects where you're at and it's mm-hmm. not really like, there's no real like the, the correct dead canon or like right. anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And I think my perception as a former teenage boy who was used to the like i don't know a better word than sort of like the tribalism of like you're you're drawing out the like the line of like i am this you know like that's how i think teenage boys particularly interact with the world is Mm -hmm. like you define yourself by what you like and don't like Mm -hmm. and you're like drawing these like huge lines in the sand and like you yeah that documentary i thought it was like it was like these clicks of like you know everybody thought like the spinners were a joke or whatever but like what i didn't realize until talking to deadheads myself was just like yeah they the spinners and the tapers 
are just all part of dead fandom. There is no, yeah, there is no proper version of that. And I think, I think having to dismantle that before you can like interact with the dead is probably like a healthy thing for, for as it's been a healthy thing for me. Cause I've, you know, I think I've spent most of my adult listening life trying not to be, be that version, you know, be the, the version of myself who was like, if you don't like the strokes, I don't like you type thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I just think, that attitude is for real. Like it's not, it's one thing for you to like hear it mm-hmm. on a documentary, but then to like, for us to experience it with these people that we're interviewing uh, was like a whole other, like, it was like, this isn't just a party line. Mm-hmm. Like this is like something that these people live and believe in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, um, I think it was like when, when Buzz said something about being like whatever age he was, I, I want to say like, 15 or 16 a teenager a teenage Mm -hmm. boy and going to his first dead show and he described it as like this crazy circus um but like a a certain amount of the way in he was like i'm standing here with 65,000 of my best friends like Mm -hmm. just to like have that mentality and to have it translate and just just into like a conversation you're having and that to be so apparent um yeah, these mm-hmm. people are. It's it's cool. It's cool. I like definitely want to take that into other like. I mean, I think that mentality exists in other like fandoms and like mm-hmm. areas of like. I don't want to say like all of music is fill, filled with teen boys or whatever. Although I feel like they just like maybe are a little. They're more louder. vocal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I it, it was this. It was refreshing, especially like I talked a bit with um. I talked to Tony Brown of of Relics, which was just like a ridiculously interesting conversation. Who was like around in like 1969 and like knew Robert Hunter and like was a part of this. And um, yeah, we talked a lot about it being like a pretty like male dominated scene, and obviously mm-hmm. the negative side that comes with that. But also, um, I think that's that's where my initial like fear or hesitation went like came from with this project and like mm-hmm. yeah, it just wasn't that expectation was sort of like proved wrong pretty quickly as soon mm-hmm. as I started talking to Buzz and David Lemieux. So yeah. yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah, it really was like a situation for us, I think, where it's like we needed to hear it directly from people before you could buy it and then it was like no hesitation anymore you know that's just like once i could hear people talk about you know how they interacted with the dead it was like oh this is for real you know like you just yeah you just buy it in when you get to hear it from you know somebody like david lemieux who has forgotten more about the grateful dead than i will even know about like my own self Mm. at at this point in my life like he knows more about the dead than i know about my own personal history so it's yeah like getting to you know and the fact that david lemieux who is like I mean, I, I don't think that this is like arguable. He is like the dead expert on earth. Mm-hmm. Like I cannot imagine anybody knowing, but the fact that like he was so enthusiastic was sitting with both of us mm-hmm. and being like, here is exactly what you should listen to and what you should care about on these records. I think is as good of a testament to deadhead culture at large that the guy 
You know, it was like, hey, Andrew, here's why you should care about these live shows around Reckoning, you know? Yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't know of another band where this situation could have happened, you know? Oh, for sure. Like he and he was stoked to do it. I mean, obviously he worked on this project and cared, but like mm-hmm. it's so I mean, you can just tell when someone's doing something because they have to versus mm-hmm. like because they really genuinely want to like they want you to like have the experience, not, not the experience that they had, but they want you to have like your own mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it too. Cause it's really like you get these other people's experiences, but they like want you to have your own version of it. It's mm-hmm. not like they want you to like, like the same songs. It's really like you should listen to this because you could have this, yeah. you know, instead of like, you need to have this. For sure. There was never, I felt like there was a lot of like room for my own. Like they were very willing to like meet me where I was at with any question I was Mm -hmm. asking. And yeah, in general, even just the way people write about the dead online and all of that stuff. It's like, okay, this, this is all out here. We have all these tools. I'm like, this is a bit of a tangent, but I'm just like so impressed with like the infrastructure that like the dead community has built (laughs) online. And Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to like listen to that, um, your conversation with Jesse about the internet because I'm I'm hoping Mm -hmm. he touches on that. But anyway, they like built all these tools and like they're very good at like sharing information and resources and all that stuff. But it does really feel like once once you understand that, like it it is so much about like what you do with it and there's no Mm -hmm. real path right yeah one of the 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 best fact from the the jesse jarno interview is that there were two nodes on the internet originally that were not like military and it was uh uc berkeley and mit Mm -hmm. and like the third thing that they did with it was like trade dead tapes and weed (laughs) (laughs) across like yeah it was like third or fourth thing that they ever did on like yeah on the the nodes of internet was them sending like hey do you guys have any dead tapes and we can send you weed from california so (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i mean the fact that yeah i mean jesse said it he was like you know deadheads invented the internet and yeah that has been an interesting part of this too i think i'm like ready also to sort of like get into the sort of all of the different digital spaces that exist. You know, there's a website that will tell you like, here's a grateful dead show from today's date. Mm. That is like really good that you should listen to. And Eric Renner Brown told me that the big, one of the big things is for people that have been born since the dead, uh, you know, have been a band has been you look up your birthday show and you know, like the 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 songs that they played on your birthday. Mm-hmm. So for you, unfortunately, you were born after the dead, after Jerry Garcia died. But yeah. I, I, I'm looking forward to looking up the April 6, 1986 show yeah. to see what they were playing and where. So Dang, I'm going to um, just look up a bunch of February 21st ones. Though, yeah, but yeah, I life. mean, so like, yeah, they, they you can find your favorite year that they played like the favorite show. And that's apparently like a thing that people like there's a website sort of devoted to that, that, you know, yeah, that came up chronicling your birthday show. I think that came up with um, might have been Buzz's interview. And I thought that was like a cool and it seemed very in the spirit of dead. I'm, I've been thinking a lot, like, what are my next steps? And I'm overwhelmed mm-hmm. by the amount of, like, tapes there are. But that seems like a really exciting, like, 
place to start. But I do mm-hmm. sort of feel like that that website and just like anytime I'm feeling it, just like logging on and seeing mm-hmm. what, what the show is, the show of the day is and listening to it feels like a very like dead way to go about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing that I, one of my main, my probably my main takeaway is like, uh, David Lemieux told me this was, and I hadn't thought of it this way was that, uh, the dead really have like three tiers of like catalog that you can get into. There's the studio albums, which is like, this is where the songs are right now in the studio. Then there's the officially released live albums. Like we have in our box, which is them picking the best live versions of those songs from specific tours. And then there's the shows. Mm -hmm. So it's really like there are three levels. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm, you know, ready to also, I want to go back to some of the studio stuff, like from the late 70s uh, and early 80s and up through their, you know, studio career. But yeah, like the going into the shows from these live albums, I think is like my next step is Mm -hmm. I know that I really like Reckoning. So like, let me find as many of the acoustic tour uh uh live shows that i can listen to you know yeah totally. um so in your four albums has there been uh like what has been like your favorite album or song that uh you've been super into while mm. you've been working on this so that was this one this question threw me for a loop um <laughs> but i i gotta say probably as an album Working Man's Dead, which mm-hmm. is, so I did, I talked to Buzz Poole who wrote the book on it and he, he really, really convinced me between his book and actually speaking with him that like, this is a perfect album and it is. Okay. Um, and also not just, not just that it's a perfect album, but it so perfectly summarizes and just such a nice, like neat little package, like what the dead are, what their journey is. Um, where they're going, where they were. Um, and yeah, the songs, they're just, they're, there's not a bad song on that album. They're perfect. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to start your dead journey, but I also think it has like a lot of like lasting power. And I'm also just like a sucker for something more stripped down, um, which mm-hmm. is the, in terms of the live albums, Reckoning is definitely the one that stuck with me. So I'd say Working Men's Dead for Studio and Reckoning for live um and then song i think eyes of the world honestly really grew on me over this time and um when when tony when i was interviewing tony um she like quoted the lyrics in a way that i found really beautiful she read them like a poem like the um the chorus and i thought it was just like a really nice uh sentiment like the line like wake up to find that you're the eyes of the world i just thought that was really nice um so i got a new appreciation for that i think the i think the the album i i struggled the most to get into was terrapin station but after speaking with buzz and also tony um about kind of what robert hunter did on that song lyrically i definitely like i don't think musically it isn't as up my alley as mm-hmm. maybe some of the other songs, but I definitely have like a deeper appreciation for Terrapin Medley and the sort of like lyrical work. And that that's mm-hmm. true across the board. I, I mean, um, yeah, Robert Hunter was like 
a mentor to Tony um, and just brilliant and not someone I knew so much about. I mean, he's kind of like a mysterious figure. So I think someone mm-hmm. I knew a little less about. And just, I think I've, I've gained through this process, like an, an appreciation. Obviously he's not like the only lyricist at play here, but just an appreciation as like a writer for like his work and everything he did lyrically. So yeah, those are. Especially since he's all over those, the first two records specifically in our box. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel like every time I just like hear a little like lyrical nugget where I'm like, damn, that, that hits deep. Um, (laughs) Can I swear on this? Yeah. Yeah. We can cuss all we want. (laughs) Okay. Someone asked that. I think Buzz asked that. And I was like, honestly, like personally, I want to say yes. And it feels on, it feels undead of me to say no, but I was maybe to be safe. Um, but which is funny because the FCC, there's a part in his book about the FCC being after Jerry Garcia for for a minute and like <laughs> giving him hella fines for like for cursing on the on the airwaves and sort of anyway. Um, but yeah, no, I just every time there's a little like lyrical nugget, I like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go to see who who's responsible for, for attacking my heart. And it's usually Robert Hunter. <laughs> Who did this drive by on my, on my internal organs. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Same question for you though. What? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's Europe 72 has been, uh, you know, I took a vacation during this period uh, that we were working on this. I had a week off and I spent most of that week in my garage woodworking listening to Europe 72 having a very uh suburban dad uh a, a moment um but yeah that the way that like it feels like that album sort of unfolds and it took me a couple of lessons for me to really appreciate the just the like masterful sequencing on that record uh and just how it feels like it just keeps building and building once you get to you start, I always usually, when I'm listening to it, I start with the China Cat Sunflower, I Know You Rider, and then it just feels like you're on this cannonball run of greatness all the way to the end. And I just would listen to the, those that stretch of the album on a loop, basically, while I was woodworking in my garage. Um, and then Reckoning, I think, was really the live album that made me appreciate the thing that I heard from uh, you know, Jeff Kolath from the Stax Museum telling me that you can hear everything in the dead and that's why he liked them. And I, I didn't really appreciate that till Reckoning because you listen to that and it's an acoustic album, but you can hear everything from like bluegrass, uh, you know, 60s folk, rock and blues and jazz a little bit. Like you can hear all of these types of music in that. And that really... Uh, that album really was just like, you know, uh, that gif of the guy going like, whoa, thing <laughs> was like when I was listening to it, maybe the third time as part of this was just like it clicked. And I was like, there it is that this is what everybody has been talking about. And I get it now. And um, specifically from Reckoning, the uh, the been around the world, because that's a, a song from inside Lewin Davis, which is mm-hmm. one of my, you know, favorite, favorite movies ever. So famously your um, favorite movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I will talk about inside Lewin Davis with anybody who wants to, you can <laughs> at me, at me on Twitter, but um, 
Yeah, like that that being on there too. And like you, I think for me, the the album that I sort of struggled with a little bit was Live Dead, um, the first one, because I think I am not super like predisposed or that interested in like sort of psychedelic rock. Um, and I found that one to be like weirdly, you know, uh, without a net is the fourth one. And that's, you know, really like eighties sort of like, uh, you know, tipping into electronic dead, you know, like it sounds kind of watery and that I could get into more than the psych rock stuff initially, but it took, uh, a lot of lessons and talking with David Lemieux about what was going on on that record for me to really appreciate that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but because at first a few times I listened to it, it was like, I, I don't know that I can like unpack my ears to hear what's happening. It just feels like it felt like one of those like psychedelic paintings just like being played at you. Mm-hmm. And I like, I couldn't pick out pieces that I could like focus on and then hearing you know, how that sort of came together and uh, the fact that it was really like, this is a snapshot of the acid test. Like this is the dead, like in Amber for that era. And that was like it for them. Like Mm -hmm. they went immediately after live dead, we're making, you know, American beauty and working man's dead. So um, I've, I've, I've really like come around to appreciate that. But at first that was sort of the one that I appreciated the least. Um, Yeah. I think but. I feel like what you just said, like, um, and also I think I think David Lemieux in both your interview, which I listened to, um, and my interview with him does a really good job at like explaining, like, be it a live album or a studio album, like studio albums in particular, like why certain certain parts of certain like elements of the dead or certain albums of the dead or songs like sound the way they do from like a historical perspective of like where they were at in their narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think once you understand that, even if like, you know, even if live dead doesn't end up being your favorite album mm-hmm. of all time, like I think um, there's just like, there's a way to appreciate even the, even the stuff that doesn't really like click with you as well. Right. Which is like a, a probably a main takeaway of like, okay, even if I'm not vibing with this, like, can I figure out why it sounds like this or like where they were Mm -hmm. at and then like get more excited about it? And the answer is usually like, yes. Yeah. It feels like the, the dead are maybe the most like context heavy band. Mm -hmm. Like, cause you can, all of the context is like available to you, you know, that like you can like know who's playing and like, this is why they're playing this way, you Mm -hmm. know, like, and maybe, yeah, that's maybe one of the things that makes them feel impenetrable is because all of that information is available to you. But like once you you get into it, it is you're you are able to like appreciate these different things that maybe it's not your favorite, but you get why it is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And that does that's another, you know, of the, the million things at this point, by this point of the podcast that we've highlighted that make the dead special and different that that might be a a big piece of it, you know? I think also there's like a sort of caveat to that, I guess, too, that like, I was like, oh, you just need to understand the context and then it makes sense. So then I kept trying to like sort of thread the needle, I guess, Mm, in a way that mm -hmm. is sort of impossible with the dead. Like, I I think Mm -hmm. I realized this talking to David Lemieux, I'm just like, okay, well, 
I've listened to I've listened to Terrapin Station like then like chronologically like then what should that like help me understand about the next episode like mm-hmm. what and I think at a certain point he was like it doesn't like you know what I mean like <laughs> they were so all it's so funny because like there's there there is a progression but they were just doing one thing one moment like mm-hmm. making this crazy like psychedelic music one moment and then like a folk album and you you can understand that about their narrative but at a certain point you kind of have to let that go I guess or stop trying Mm -hmm. to like string it together does that make sense I don't know yeah I think I think that they were a band that lived in the moment Mm -hmm. and that moment changed from moment to moment and so yeah I think yeah I think I I get what you're saying that it's like you can you can try to explain why Terrapin Station sounds the way that it does, but it might just sound the way that it does because that's how they sounded at that time. And that's exactly, it. and it could mean it doesn't say anything it, bigger. Yeah, it could, and it could yeah. mean like virtually nothing about like it. it it's not going to point to to where you're going. Like, right? Really? I mean, it'll probably impact it in some way that you can never end up mm-hmm. defining. But like. There's really no saying like, oh, you know, in that moment, because they made Terrapin, Terrapin Station, like we can now point to like their next natural progression, which you, I think you can do that with like a lot of bands. Mm-hmm. Like that's, as they have an easy narrative and like you can watch their growth and development, but you just can't mm-hmm. like go into this expecting to make sense of it in that way. Right. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that too is that like, like we said on the first episode that, you know, the studio albums are maybe not the the greatest representation of them because they all they all feel like they never nailed it, you know? And so the studio albums uh, you know, end up feeling like these sort of like weird snapshots of time as opposed to some arc, you know? Yeah. That they're just like these data points and they're maybe not connecting in a way that, yeah makes sense yeah like digestible and essential to like your understanding but definitely definitely just you know worthy of appreciating as albums but like Mm -hmm. and my efforts to sort of thread the needle like through the narrative of the dead via the studio albums ended up i felt like being a little a little like fruitless you just can appreciate them as their own pieces yeah. as opposed to yeah. and understand like where they lie along the along the like points of the dead's narrative but after after that like just just, just listen go. to it man yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah honestly yeah it feels that actually that's a good point i think the thing that makes them hard too is like you can learn all of this context about like, let's say like Miles Davis and you can like know what his progression was, Mm -hmm. but you like, honestly, you don't even need to like or listen to the music to like completely understand what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And the dead, ultimately you sort of have to, you know, (laughs) that like you can say all of this stuff about like what their arc looks like, but you know, without listening to it and being able to like feel that in your bones, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything, you know? Yeah. That was an interesting thing. Regarding our guests, um, and just like deadheads, a, a sort of like something that still doesn't fully make sense to me. Like they get so nerdy about things and are so good at developing these like systems of organization and like, mm-hmm. 
really like masters of archiving dead history and really like preserving that and just like honestly being nerds and in like a loving way mm-hmm. I said, like I respect that um mm-hmm. but also I think definitely like Tony was just like the like kept bringing the conversation back to like I don't know I was asking if like she had tips for for new deadheads all of that stuff and she was like just in like some true hippie spirit was like just like listen to the music man like let it <laughs> let, let it like you know let it impact mm-hmm. you just like it's not that it's at, at the end of the day not that complicated um, right which was a good reminder yeah and like we did for this and i guess you know if you're a new listener to the dead you are doing this with the box set is just come to it with like an open an open heart and open mind mm-hmm. and you might end up with some of your you know favorite records or records that'll really knock you out so, yeah no i wrote down yeah. um i wrote down a quote i had a, i had a your like kind of last question like would you call yourself a deadhead now mm-hmm. um i feel like i had i had my like moment this morning actually unplanned conveniently like woke up on accident before sunrise and i was like well i'm up now i might as well see the sunrise mm-hmm. um, so we like drove out to like a good spot and box of rain came on unplanned oh, and like man. the the lines like walk out of any doorway feel you feel your way feel your way like the day before maybe you'll find direction around some corner where it's been waiting to meet you and it's like damn there's the dead like that's and just like maybe like kind of a good way to live your life arguably um Mm -hmm. and not one that comes natural to me at all like i think that's the other i mean personality is in so like direct conflict with like (laughs) what it what it is chilling the fuck out and listening to the dead absolutely (laughs) um but yeah no it's just like that was i guess that moment i got chill i was like i was a little weepy like when i heard that um and yeah, I was like, okay, there it is. Like, there it is. It's not, it's not any more complicated than that. Walk out of any doorway. Feel your way. Feel your way like the day before. Maybe you'll find direction around some corner where it's been waiting. This season of the VMP Anthology Podcast is executive produced, written, and hosted by me, Amelia Sutliff. And me, Andrew Winnestorfer. It's produced by Gabe Harder with assistance from Jonah Graber. Thanks for listening to the stud-centric season, and we'll be back with a jazzier season soon. 